0: Yeah, it's good to have all of y'all here today. For the most part, I enjoyed the men's retreat, but age is catching up with me. I I, I do want to say I'm very aware that um, the dinner bell is ringing in our bellies because it's like 12:30 our our body time. So I I thought I would might not be good to remind you all of that, but I'm figuring you knew it already anyway. So we'll I'll try not to belabor things this morning and we'll just work our way through but i would like to ask you if you will to turn to jonah chapter 2 and in the bible there in the seat it's page 726 if you're reading the spanish version it's probably still page 726 i didn't check uh, but it's a, it's a smallish book towards the back of the old testament so it's a little challenging to find if you can't find jonah The book just in front of it is Obadiah. (laughs) It's just one chapter long, so that's not going to help you a bit. All right. We're going to read all of Jonah chapter 2. But I'm going to read as a way to get our way to Jonah chapter 2. I'm going to read from Jonah 1 verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I'm driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. I'll ask you to pray with me. Lord, I'm reminded that um, all we need to do is proclaim your goodness. We don't have to fabricate anything. We just have to be faithful servants to say what is true. And then because your spirit works inside of us, you can take the truth and... Send it deep into our souls so that it has staying power, so that it makes of us new people. And so I ask that that would be accomplished this morning. Help us to have a clear sense that you're working in us and that you are drawing us to yourself. And I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. It's a bad day when the good that you're hoping for is to be vomited up on dry ground. So that kind of sets the stage for where we are with Jonah. Now, I'll repeat the story from last week in the event that you were unable to be here or if you're not familiar with what happens inside of the book of Jonah. But it starts out with God speaking to Jonah and says, God says to Jonah, Arise and go to Nineveh. And uh, the next verse says that Jonah arose and went to Tarshish. So you have this prophet who's going to nearly the direct opposite direction that God had sent him. So when Jonah goes down to Joppa to buy a ticket for the boat that was going to Tarshish, he goes down there, buys his ticket, gets on the boat, and he starts across the Mediterranean Sea. And as he's going across the Mediterranean Sea, God hurls a wind against, into the sea. The wind starts a tempestuous storm, and so the boat is now there, out on the sea in this tempestuous storm, a storm that is increasing in intensity and gets worse and worse the further they travel. So these experienced sailors began to become frightened, and uh, they began to pitch cargo overboard. And they began, when that didn't work to stabilize the boat, they began to cry out to their gods, who did not answer, and the storm continued to go on. And so eventually, the captain of the ship, there was a lot of chaos going on up on top of the ship, but Jonah himself was asleep down inside of the ship, and the captain goes down and wakes Jonah up and says, look, what are you doing? Uh, we're, we're about to perish, so if you know a God that has some control over what's going on, wake up and, and pray to your God. Well, Jonah wakes up. The storm continues and continues to increase in intensity. And so eventually the soldiers, the sailors, I'm sorry, the sailors begin to try to figure out what has gone wrong. How can they become safe in the middle of this storm? And they talk to Jonah and say, what should we do? You're saying that your God created the land and the sea, and the sea is against us. What ought we do in order to save our lives? And so Jonah says to them, throw me overboard. And so he gets pitched into the ocean. Um, Not the ocean, the Mediterranean Sea. And that's where we pick up this story. When I, the reason I read verse 17 is because that's kind of the culmination of the story from chapter 1. Where it says, the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And he's in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So I'm just going to divide this chapter this morning into three areas. And the first of these is the plight of Jonah. Now we read about the fish coming to get him. and But... When we get to chapter two, it's Jonah praying inside of the fish. And so there's a little bit of chronology that gets shifted. That is, when Jonah is praying in in chapter three, I'm I'm chapter two, he says to the Lord, You cast me into the deep. And then he says, I am driven away. But it also says, The Lord appointed a fish. So he was cast into the deep, and then he prays about being driven away, but the Lord appointed the fish that came prior to those things so what takes place in three and four actually precedes what takes place in 117 i said that backwards just a moment ago but it will make sense to address these things in this in this order so the first thing that we want to see is that jonah sees god's providence behind man's activity so when jonah begins to talk about being thrown into the sea he talks about it as an event that God brought about, even though it was the sailors who physically picked him up and, and chunked him overboard. When Jonah's praying in verse 3, he says, you cast me into the sea speaking to, uh, to God. He spoke it in this way because God had brought about a checkmate. Jonah had made all the moves that he could. He had gone to Joppa. He had purchased a ticket. He had gotten on board a ship. He had gone down into the bottom of the ship and fallen asleep. But the storm continued to come. He could not escape what was going on. Jonah had made all the moves that he could. There was nothing left in the arsenal of his scheming. He couldn't figure out another way to escape God. He had come to the end of himself. And there, instead of seeking God's forgiveness, when we thought that he might... He's standing there on board, and instead of confessing his sin of running away from God, he makes one last desperate attempt at self-will by asking that he be thrown to the sea. Now, I don't know what's going on in Jonah's mind, but it's doubtful that he anticipated that the sea was going to stop the storm. So perhaps he was assuming that this would be the end of it. Just chunk me overboard. I really don't want to give in to God. And so just throw me overboard, and whatever happens happens but then verse 17 said but God appointed a great fish so think if you're Jonah he's trying to end things he's trying to escape God and, and now here at the very last of this the the most uh, extreme activity that it could take throw me overboard so that I can escape fully but then God sends this fish by to pick him up anyway didn't matter how much he was trying to escape God he could not escape God Jonah's attempt to run from God ended in failure because every attempt to run from God ends in failure. It doesn't matter how far we run, how hard we run, how cunningly we run, God will always find us out. There's a psalm that I mentioned last week, this Psalm 139. I'll read a portion of it to you now where it says this, Where shall I go from your spirit? For darkness is as light to you. It's a good psalm. And it's a lot of comfort to those who are seeking after God. But it's a great discomfort to those who are trying to flee him. We cannot escape the attention of God. He's all seeing. He's all knowing. So he knows what we are attempting to do. And so we cannot outrun him. If you think back through what the Bible says in some other stories, you'll find that this is consistent with other people inside of the Bible if you think to back into the beginning of Genesis and you find Adam and Eve and they have sinned and they too attempted to hide from God and it wasn't a well-conceived plan I mean there were the only two people left in the world (laughs) it's not like they were going to get lost I mean God knew where they were so God asked them a question where are you But the point of the question is not because God needed some direction to help find them. He knew where they were, but they didn't know where they were. They thought that they could hide from God, and so God is surfacing the truth that you cannot hide from God. The question was not for his benefit. The question was for their benefit so that they would know and understand that running from God is pointless. We cannot escape him. I mentioned last week that David did everything that he could to cover his sin with Bathsheba. He pulled out all the stops, tried to do all sorts of things to keep it from being found out, but God was aware of it. And as it said at the end of the chapter in in 2 Samuel 11, the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. So I didn't talk last week about the next chapter, but in the next chapter... God sends a prophet to to David, and this prophet comes, and he talks to David, and he tells this story that is not a true story, but he told it as if it was a true story, and in this story, there was a poor man who had a sheep, one lamb, and there was a rich man who had a, a bunch of lambs, and someone came to see the guy who had the bunch of lambs, And so, in an effort to provide for his friend that had come to see him, the rich man with all of the lambs went to the poor man's house, stole the lamb, killed the lamb, and fed his company. Well, David's here in this story. He's the king. He can do something about this. And so, he becomes incensed. He's angry. He wants to punish the rich man. He begins to ask questions about who is this guy. And Nathan the prophet looked at David. And what can only be described as God throwing David overboard. And Nathan said to him, you are the man. You're the one who is stealing. You're the one who is responsible. God will always greet us with an uncomfortable word and put us in uncomfortable situations in order to grab our attention. The truth is that our stubbornness makes our journey harder than it actually has to be. I said this before, but it is true. As a hard-hearted individual, I can attest that the the road of a strong-willed person is a difficult one. If we refuse to bow to our Lord, then He continues to up the ante and make it more and more difficult, harder and harder to evade Him. There's a song that, is, that I listen to frequently. It's kind of burned into my mind because I need the song. It's by Rich Mullins who, who died some years ago. And he writes this. Well, sometimes my life just don't make sense at all. When the mountains look so big and my faith just seems so small, so hold me, Jesus, because I'm shaking like a leaf. You've been king of my glory. Won't you be my prince of peace? and i wake up in the night and i feel the dark it's so hot inside my soul i swear there must be blisters on my heart so hold me jesus because i'm shaking like a leaf you've been king of my glory won't you be my prince of peace and then the bridge in the song says this surrender doesn't come natural to me i'd rather fight you for something i don't really want than to take what you give that i need And I beat my head against so many walls, now I'm falling down, I'm falling on my knees. So hold me, Jesus, because I'm shaking like a leaf. You've been king of my glory, won't you be my prince of peace? The phrase in there that grabs me just succinctly states what takes place when we're hard-hearted or stubborn with God. Surrender doesn't come natural to me. And I'd rather fight you for something I don't even really want than to take what you give that I need. And this gets played out so frequently in our lives where the Lord offers us what is good, and, but we want to hold on selfishly to whatever we've concocted in our minds, and we, and we just won't give up the things that are destroying us. And again and again, the Lord offers us good. And then again and again, we just hang on to what, what we don't really want. But at some point... We find out that we cannot outrun God because he sees and he knows everything. And so in Jonah chapter 2, verse 4, he's praying and he says this at the first part of that verse Then I said, I'm driven away from your sight. So Jonah gets what he wants and then he doesn't want that anymore because by his own admission in chapter 1, he's fleeing from God's presence. And in his thoughts, fleeing from God's presence looked like taking a Mediterranean cruise to some exotic destination, uh, Tarshish, that he, perhaps he had never been before. The brochures promised that it would be a good time. Get on this boat. Let's flee God's presence. Everything will be great. The advertisements promised a day in the sun, peace, tranquility but the travel agent is the devil because he's providing a way to escape the presence of God and the reality would be quite different. He gets on this boat and he's initially beset by strong winds and he's chased by this tempestuous storm and Jonah then finds himself thrown overboard now down into the darkness in the belly of the whale. He has been driven by God's presence which was precisely what he stated that he wanted. But then when he found himself abandoned, um, air quoting, abandoned by God, but at that moment far from God, he was driven from God's sight. That's how Jonah states it as he prays. And when he gets there and gets a hold of what he thought he wanted, he realized that is not what he wanted at all. Running from God brought darkness instead of light. There's a sobering verse in the book of Psalms, chapter 106, and the psalm is relatively long, and it kind of walks through some of the history of the nation of Israel. And after a section of that psalm where it talks about how God has rescued them and brought them out of bondage, it then says in verse 13 that they soon forgot his works. The nation of Israel forgot the works of God. They did not wait for his counsel. counsel. But they wanted what they wanted in the wilderness, and they tempted God in the desert. And then it says this and God gave them their request, but sent leanness to their souls. Sometimes the things that we want, if we actually got a hold of them, would not be a blessing at all. It would create leanness in our souls if we don't heed the strong wind, if we don't heed the tempestuous storm, God might just give us the thing that we're asking for and along with it, leanness of soul. Well, Jonah is into fish. He's praying this at verse 3, and he's praying it at verse 4. But prior to being sent sent into the sea, God sent this great fish by, as we saw in Jonah chapter 1, verse 17. I just want to clarify that sometimes God's provision looks like a very hard time. Do you find yourself in a hard time? Are you sure that, God's, that this hard time is not God's provision for you? We need to be sure that we understand that God is the one who appoints the fish. And so sometimes when the storms come and we get thrown out of the boat, the Lord will send by this fish, and this fish place, I'm using allegory, of course, but this fish place that is here will become a prayer room because that's what happened for, the, for Jonah. It wasn't the type of prayer room that he would have constructed if he had, had a choice, but it was a whole lot more effective. There was nowhere else to go. There was nothing that was going to distract him from praying. He was there. He was stuck. He needed rescue. And so there he finds himself. Stripped of everything, including his self-importance, Jonah finally found a place to pray. And I think that as we walk our way through the Bible, it will be amply supported that God frequently puts people in a place where they have nothing left except to pray and cry out to him. So if you think back to the book of Exodus, if you know this story, the nation of Israel had been delivered from Egypt, and they started out across the wilderness, and as they're making their way across the wilderness, they come to this Red Sea that's in front of them. Well, after they've left Egypt, the Egyptian soldiers began to follow after them, and now they're facing to the front, the Red Sea. Behind them are the Egyptian sailors, but what is on the left maybe east or west one of those directions was a desert that they could not take all the people through and then on the other side was mountains that they could not scale with the people that they had so here they are surrounded red sea in front of them desert on one side mountains on the other egyptians flooding in and what did they have left ex- except to pray they had no way to, way of escape in another storm that took place in the new testament peter's out walking on the water with jesus and as he's walking with jesus he takes his eyes off of jesus and he begins to see the winds and the waves that are all around him and he begins to sink down as those things try to take a claim on his life and as he's sinking down that danger hastily put together a prayer room in those few seconds of sinking down into the waves Peter offered this prayer. It's a short prayer, maybe the shortest we've ever heard, but it is a great prayer. He just cries out to the to the to Jesus and says, "Lord, save me." And that is a great prayer for us because sometimes things are happening so quickly, we don't have time for fancy words, not that we need them when we pray. We don't have time for getting comfortable, not that we need to be comfortable when we pray. We don't have time for meditation. Not that we need to always think through everything when we pray. Sometimes it's just the reflex of the danger that is around us. Lord, save me. And that is a good prayer. There's nothing else that I can do. I'm sinking down. So sometimes the provision of God looks like we're being hemmed in with no escape. So then we think about the prayer of Jonah that takes place in verses 2 through 9. I read it to you earlier, so I won't read all the way through these verses again. But let me just point out some words that show up inside of the psalm, or inside of this prayer. He talks about distress in verse 2. He talks about the belly of Sheol in verse 2. He talks about being in the deep in verse 3. He talks about being surrounded by the flood in verse 3. He talks about the waves and the billows passing over him in verse 3. He talks about dream, being driven away and banished in verse 4. He talks about waters closing over him, him becoming engulfed in the waters in verse 5. He talks about being surrounded by all these things in verse 5. He, in verse 6, he talks about sinking down. He talks about being barred in verse 6. And then in verse 7, life is fainting away. These are hard words for prayer. And they might be strange to the ears of some. But if you read through the book of Psalms, you're going to find that these words come up again and again in the book of the Psalms, which is essentially a record of prayers to the Lord. They are tough words for praying people. But when you look at what Jonah is praying, you you will find out that he's quoting, in large measure, things that show up in the book of Psalms. Christy read it earlier from Psalm chapter 3, that's quoted by Jonah. He quotes As I said, Psalm 3, he quotes Psalm 130, he quotes Psalm 30, he quotes Psalm 50, he quotes Psalm 18, he quotes Psalm 31, he quotes Psalm 42, and there should be some comfort for us in that. He borrowed the words of saints that had gone before him. And what he felt, seekers of God have felt throughout the years. And it tells us that Jonah's feelings at that moment w- were not his feelings alone. But there have been many saints who had gone before who felt this, this sense of falling down into the waters, being covered over by the waters, and, and sinking down into what would feel like a watery grave. And I, I know that as I'm speaking here this morning, that in, in the broad measure, there's two groups of people to whom I'm speaking. And one would be a group of people who have not repented of their sins, who, who have chosen to walk away from God and are in hardship because they're kicking against what God is doing in their life. And those people feel eventually, as Jonah is describing. And then there's another group of people who might be down in the belly of the whale through no uh, active disobedience to the Lord, but simply because of the hardships of life, they find themselves there crying out to the Lord. There are many times when, the, when believers, the saints, those who follow after God, find themselves in the deep. And the vocabulary of prayer clings to God's promises. When we pray, we try to hold on all to everything that God has promised to us. But in the midst of that praying, our sentences are punctuated by grief very frequently. There's a lot of singing psalms. There's a right place for that. Where our hearts are filled with joy but there's also a lot of grieving prayers inside of the Psalms and both of those are the experience of people who follow after Christ if you walk through the Psalms your feet will become wet with the tears of the Saints because it happens repeatedly it is not because God is cruel it's because we're praying about life and death situations that matter to us deeply and so sometimes we're going to weep our way through our praying. And if you find yourself there, in one sense, it doesn't matter how you ended up in this dark place that becomes now for you a prayer closet. What matters is that finding ourselves here, we don't resist the God who appointed the fish. The hand that sinks us is also the hand that saves us. That is, God is orchestrating what is going on, and so he brings us to particular places so that he can raise us up out of those places. So the plea of Jonah inside of this prayer, and I'll just summarize here for you. Verse 2, he says, I called out to you. In verse 6, he says, I remembered you. In verse 9, he says, I thanked you. So that will be what leads us then directly into verse 10, which is... Curiously, the peace of God. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. I think it's useful to note, as we're working our way through this, that the deceiver, the devil, is also the accuser. The devil loves to tempt us to keep running from God. He passes out tickets for boats, to tar, uh, for boats in Joppa, hoping to catch us at some weak moment so that we will run from God. He has an impressive media blitz where he advertises and he promises pleasure and he delivers pleasure insofar as a liar can do that. And what I mean by that is that he he delivers enough pleasure to sell the lie that it's better to run from God than to pursue God. And then, and then once we've bought the lie, the devil doesn't care whether we enjoy ourselves or not. But the devil is a deceiver and he's tricky. And so once he has talked us into sin, he immediately becomes the accuser. So he talks us into sin in the first place. And now that he has talked us into sin, he begins to to tell us that god will never love us because of what we've done what he's talked us into doing our sins are so grievous he says that god will never forgive us our failures are so consistent that they eclipse the power of the cross whatever forgiveness jesus may have offered to others we're just too far gone for jesus to offer it to us but remember that the accuser is a deceiver, so he's saying things that are not true. The devil is right a little bit. You know, when you're reading in Genesis, you get to the third chapter, and in the third chapter, man sinned, and he's fallen out of fellowship with God. And so the devil would like to emphasize the fact of the brokenness of that relationship but the rest of the book, I mean, the Bible's a big, big book, and the other 1,186 chapters take time to chronicle how God, what God has said and what God has done in order to bring us back to himself. So all through the Bible, you get beyond chapter 3, and the rest of it is chronicling how God has set about to restore people to himself. There's a steady march throughout the Old Testament books until you get over to the Gospels. And there you find Jesus, the Son of God, who raises himself up on a cross. And from the cross, Jesus calls out to every Jonah, all of us, beaten by the sea and tattered by the storms and swallowed by a fish. And through the resurrection of Jesus, God makes it plain that he intends to make saints out of sinners. And he intends to bring peace to saints who have been tattered by the storms. Now, we can pick up almost anywhere we would like inside of the Bible and find that this is so. That God is explaining our hearts. He's explaining his love for us. He's explaining how we lay hold of hope through what Jesus has done on our behalf. About how the resurrection plays its way out, not only for our future and, and what is to come in the next life, but also how it plays out and how we live out our lives and the capacity to to live in a way that is pleasing to the Lord. We can nestle down almost anywhere in the Bible and find that to be the case. But there is a story that summarizes in such a way that it makes it precious to us, I think, and it's the story of the prodigal son. Perhaps you've heard of it, but there's this son who wants to go ahead and get his inheritance and so he talks to his dad and says hey I want to get my money ahead of time and so he gets his money and he goes off to a far country spends everything he has on his friends and fun and a good time and then the money runs out and the friends run out and the good times run out and he finds himself then in a pigsty feeding the pigs which to us is not fun but to the Jews it would be odious and So this son is feeding the pigs. But then he begins to remember about what it was like back at his father's house. And then he gets up out of the pigsty and he makes his way back towards his father's house. There's a little more to the story. I'll, I'll read a song, a poem that will help develop it. But this is what the song says. Like the prodigal son, I wandered in darkness. And I traded my life for a world of good time. No peace in my heart I ever could find. And I got so tired eating, feeding after the swine. Like the prodigal son, I wandered from Jesus. But the good shepherd saw through the heat and the cold. The ninety and nine he left in the fold. Just to find this lost sheep that was hungry and cold. So I believe I'll go home. And I'll eat with the father the table is spread and they're waiting for me i can see the father coming out to greet me lord i'm willing to be just a servant for thee the image of a father at his house grieving over a son who is in the far country wasting his life and then sees the son turn the bend the father's not content to stay on the porch but gathers his garments around him and takes off after his son who's been long lost and wraps him in an embrace. And that is an image that needs to stay in our mind. However far we've dunked down into the sea, however far we've gone in the boat, however far we deep we find ourselves in the belly of the fish, there is a Father who waits to welcome us home. We do not have to leap over things to get there. We just need to access what Jesus has done, and the Father is glad to welcome us home. I started earlier by saying that it's a bad day when the good you're hoping for is to be vomited up onto dry ground but it is a good day when you remember that God knows the name of your fish whatever God has put in your path he knows he's ordained it And whether it's chasing you because you've been disobedient or whether you're just caught in the middle of something because of the hardships of life, God knows the name of your fish. Your hardness has not come unattended by God. Don't listen to the deceiver who will try to convince you that God is a sadist who just enjoys inflicting pain. Johnny Erickson Tata spoke with, with some good wisdom when she said, God sometimes allows what He hates to accomplish what He loves. If I could tap on your soul to try to get your attention, to have you listen to hear this. If you find yourself in the belly of a whale and you feel the deep and you feel the seaweed around your neck and you feel yourself sinking down, tap 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 in due time god will speak to your fish and it might not sound poetic but at some point god will instruct the fish to vomit you out on dry ground god will intervene god is at work god will do what he says he will do i'm going to read a a poem that laura wrote some years ago She was writing about the storm in the Gospels, but it holds true in this story as well. My ship is battered by the waves. The anchor does not hold. Winds press hard against my chest. I'm lost, I'm wet, I'm cold. I fight with all that's in me to bring this vessel home, to hold it all together, though I know it's far too worn. In the midst of this great battle, me against my foe, I hear the voice of freedom calling me to come. Come out onto the ocean, walk steady on the sea. The ship, she's not your hope. My child, it's found in me. Salvation will not come from vessels made by man. Our hope, the very breath of life, comes from the Father's hand. Abandon ship, abandon all, plunge deep into my love, I hold you through the darkest night and I will bring you home. Abandon ship. Abandon all. The best thing that we can do is throw ourselves overboard onto the mercy of Christ and know that he will hold us fast. He will take hold of us and carry us through. No need to hold on to our ways of doing things. No need to hold on to some of our uh, idiosyncrasies. Just abandon all. Jump all the way in to the mercy and the forgiveness of God and then we find peace. So I'll close with the words of Peter who said to Jesus, Lord, to whom else shall we go? You have the words of life. There, there is no other place. There is no other place of safety. To whom shall we go? And so we go to Jesus and find him ready and willing to forgive us. And to take us home. I'll ask you to close your heads. And as we pray. Lord I ask that you would help us. By your mercy I pray that your. Promises would. Rest deeply in our hearts. Help us not to. Wander away from you. Either by neglect or by. Just out and out disobedience. Help us to abandon all self-hope and to lean fully on Jesus. Thank you that we can look to you and find you faithful and trustworthy in every circumstance. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.